0: This is the London Live Podcast. Listen live weekdays from 1 to 3 on 980 CFPL. For the first time in 42 years, we have bright sunshine and... No, actually, we had that yesterday. For the first time in 42 years, something is happening today. Ontario Premier Doug Ford is speaking? No, it's only been about a week for that. For the first time in 42 years... I know what it is. The Montreal Canadiens and the Toronto Maple Leafs are going to meet tonight in a playoff series. And if we had fans in the stands and fans in restaurants and fans in bars, fans on streets, fans gathered together in just humongous crowds, the atmosphere would already be building. It's a little bit different. We're in a pandemic, but... It means that for the first time in a little while, the Toronto Maple Leafs and the Montreal Canadiens are going to play a game, and they're going to play another game after that, and two more after that, guaranteed, and then we'll count them up and see where we sit. We are going to begin the show today talking about that. Yesterday, you heard from Walt McKechnie, who played for the Toronto Maple Leafs in that series. Right now, we are lucky enough to have with us a two-time Stanley Cup champion, once with the Montreal Canadiens in that year that we're about to talk a lot about. And once with the Edmonton Oilers, won a Memorial Cup, won some Italian championships in his career, and is now the president of the NHL Alumni Association. Please welcome to London Live Mark Napier. Mark, how are things?
1: Really good, Mike. Thank you. Really good. Just actually one correction. Um I retired from the Alumni Association uh, about three years ago now. And Glenn Healy's doing a fabulous job running the alumni. So I'm so, just, past uh,
0: president of the I'm NHL the Alumni Association. President.
1: Yeah, so we, uh, I, I, I don't want heels calling me as soon as this interview is <laughs> over and asking what, what, uh, if I still think I should be getting paid. So,
0: <laughs> Well, you know what? They can't take your Stanley Cups from you at all, so you will always be a two-time Stanley Cup champion. And one of those times came in your rookie year, when the Montreal Canadiens and the Toronto Maple Leafs last met in a playoff series going into that was it was it kind of a, a big rivalry situation or was it just hey well Montreal played them last year and uh, well here we go again um,
1: actually that's a really good question we we really respected Toronto I, I know uh, they played them the, the year before um, and actually I, I knew I was uh, going to be coming to Montreal so um, I, I did watch that series. Uh, and every game was tough. Every game was really close. So, you know, going into it, we certainly, uh, weren't overconfident. We knew we had to play our best to, to, uh, to beat them. And, uh, and every game was, was a rough, uh, hard fought game and, and very close. And, uh, you know, it, it's funny when you, when, you talk to people and you say, "Oh, you swept them four straight." But uh, you know there was a few couple of games that went overtime, and then they could have gone either way.
0: Well, all you have to do is watch the first shift of that game, and I think Ian Turnbull of the Maple Leafs hits three people, and I think Larry Robinson stepped into somebody in the corner. So yeah, it it started physical. You were in your rookie year in the National Hockey League, like you say, you you knew you were going to be going to Montreal. They were in the midst of a, a four-Stanley Cup run. What was it like to join that team at that time?
1: Well, it was pretty special. You know, they'd already won the three Stanley Cups, and, uh, uh, you know, I'd already played three years pro in the old uh, World Hockey Association. Uh, so it wasn't like I was an 18-year-old rookie coming in. I, I had a little bit of pro under my belt. But, you know, to walk into that dressing room and just to see – the players in there and and i don't know if you've seen the replica down at the hall of fame they 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 have the faces on the wall of the greats from from the past and it was it was almost magical so uh you know i'm usually pretty chirpy in the dressing room and i don't think i said a word for about six weeks i was (laughs) i was so impressed and and uh you know I, i certainly never expect to get a lot of playing time with so many great players but Personally I got lucky. Yvonne Cornway hurt his back I think about twelve games into the season, had that back surgery, uh which ended his career um which was so unfortunate, but uh being a right winger it opened up uh, a spot for me to, to go and prove myself a bit.
0: Well, and you did. I mean, you produced points in the regular season, in the playoffs, in that first year. And and you guys went on the way to a a Stanley Cup victory. We're talking with Mark Napier, who played for the Montreal Canadiens in that 78-79 season and then beyond. But that was the last time the Canadiens and the Leafs hooked up in a playoff series. (laughs) Two of those games went to overtime in that series. Overtime in... A classic building. what was that like in the playoffs? What do you, what do you remember from that?
1: Oh boy, it 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 my probably the most vivid memory I have of that is um game three, uh I actually got hurt. I, I went on Mike Palmetry, poke checked me and tripped me at the same time and I landed on my knee and it blew up on me, so I was out of the game and I think Steve Shutt uh, got hurt and was out of the game also. So we were watching it and which opened up a, a chance for Cam Connor to play. Who didn't get a lot of ice time. He was a, uh, a Western kid, big, you know, big tough kid, and uh, he ended up getting a breakaway in double overtime, I believe. And um, you know, if you asked him, he he three guys and put it top shelf, but he actually went on the breakaway and lost the puck, and it slid under Palmeter. So. Uh, it was probably the biggest goal of his life. And, uh, then we ended up, that was game three in overtime in, in the gardens. But for me, it was always pretty special because, uh, you know, I'm a Toronto kid growing up. I was a Maple Leaf fan and, uh, you know, coming in to play any time in Maple Leaf Gardens was, was so special for me. So to, you know, also, you know, come in and, and play with such a great team and, and to, to be able to, you know, beat Toronto, um, but also get to play in front of my friends and family. It was it was doubly special for me.
0: How was the transition for you being a member of the Toronto Marbles, playing for the Toronto Toros in the WHA? To all of a sudden say, all right, the Toronto Allegiance goes away. Now you're <laughs> Bleu, blah, blah, and Rouge. It, uh,
1: it it certainly wasn't easy. I, I heard through my agent that I think Toronto had. I got picked tenth overall, and I think Toronto had eleven and twelve and. They said if I was still available, they would they would take me. So uh, deep down in my heart, I was just praying that uh, I would still be around in the in the uh, for the 11th pick or 12th pick. Um, obviously, Montreal took me one pick ahead, which which worked out pretty good because you know the, the team we played was not even close to the team that that. And it ended up, you know, in later years, uh, you know, that team with Lanny McDonald and Daryl Sittler and, uh, you know, Tiger Williams on the one line. And then they had Boris Salming and Ian Turnbull in defense and, and you know, Mike Palmitier in net. And I think Kitty Carlisle, Randy Carlisle was there at the time. And so they had a really good, good team. They just, they just didn't quite have the depth that we had in Montreal. And then. Uh, I think everybody remembers the next year I think uh, Harold Ballard traded away Lanny McDonald and you know Daryl Sittler ripped the C off his jersey and uh, and they were never the same they were never really got back into it till the till the 90s so um so uh, you know unfortunately fortunately for me I got lucky I got drafted by Montreal and played for them I always wanted to play for the Leafs but I'm I'm kind of glad I didn't wasn't on those those teams that played in the 80s cuz uh, you know Harold Ballard made a mess of
0: them Mark Napier joining us as we relive some hockey memories ahead of Game 1 between the Toronto Maple Leafs and the Montreal Canadiens tonight. First time they've met him in the Stanley Cup playoffs in 42 years. Mark, in terms of, of going on that year, because you did in Montreal, you end up playing a, a best-of-seven series against the Boston Bruins that may show up more times than than any other because of all kinds of things that happened in that series you always get to see highlights every once in a while as the playoffs move along what do you remember from that series
1: well that that was probably our well obviously it was our toughest series um you know you, you could make an argument that they were the two best teams in hockey at the time uh, i know that we no disrespect to the new york island or new york rangers who we met in the finals but um you know the, the every game with with boston was was a battle regular season uh whether it was training camp or whatever and uh and it was tough to go into that small building we were kind of built as a skating team but you know we could play any type of hockey but you know the bruins in that small rink were they were tough to play against and tough tough to take two points out of so uh so we knew we had our hands full we we you know that again went into ended, uh overtime in, in game seven. I think everybody remembers, you know, the famous Don Cherry Too Many Men on the Ice uh uh game. And uh I actually scored uh, we were down three one and I I scored a great you know, off a great pass by Guy Lafleur to make it three two. So that's that's a real fond memory for me and then um you know obviously uh Yvonne Lambert scored in overtime to, to for us to win that and then we I think we beat the Rangers in five after that. So it uh but th- those were Big tough bruising games and and boy you uh you know you you came out with a few ice bags uh on, on your body after those games.
0: You'd be able to and there are some you know, some clips you can see from the series, you'd be able to go back to the bench and, and sit down with Guy LaFleur or sit down beside some of the other forwards and as still a, a relatively young player, pick their brain a little bit. What sorts of things would you hear from them?
1: Well, I remember I was about a week into practicing, and I wasn't a really good practice player at the time. Um, I I had some success in, in goal scoring in the WHA and thought I was hot potatoes going into Montreal. And I remember kind of, we were doing just some breakouts, and I used to f- kind of float through those. And Bob Ganey came up to me uh, at one point during the practice about a weekend, and he says, Hey, he says, we practice as hard as we play around here. And that's, he kind of looked at me with, that eye, and, and when he said that to me, I said, "Oh my goodness!" I said I better, I better start practicing a little bit harder than what I've been doing here. So, uh, so it, it really woke me up to, to what it took to to be a winner. And um, and you know, so you, so you had leaders like like Bob and and Larry Robinson and Serge Savard and and uh, you know Ken Dryden and Nett was still there that year. Uh, but then you had the great talents like uh, Guy Lafleur and Steve Shutt and Jacques Lemaire was spectacular. And you know, you could go right through the list but you know there was just so much depth and so and so many guys that that played hard and 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 a lot of it was just uh, you know scotty it was scotty bowman's last year there too and a lot of it was just uh the way scotty ran practices and and had the guys prepare so well prepared for the games that uh made it even more special and i learned a lot my my first first year there for sure and, and carried that on through my career
0: we're talking with Mark Napier ahead of Game 1 between the Maple Leafs and the Canadians. There are a lot of Leaf fans who are hoping that they get to see the Leafs hoist the Stanley Cup at the end of a long run that'll take us well into July. Mark, you've done it. What is it like to win the Stanley Cup?
1: Oh boy, that's a really good question. I I, uh, um, I, I think the best analogy I've heard is from from Kevin Lowen and Wayne Gretzky and Mark Messi and, and when they got beat i believe it was in eighty three by the islanders and there was the Islanders' fourth cup in a row and they were leery about it was in the in the island they were leery about uh... you know going by yet to get to the bus you had to go by the uh... the home team's dressing room and they just dreaded having to go by because they figured they'd be hooping it up and music would be going and guys would be popping champagne and all that good stuff and they went by and there there was like almost deadly science in a room and they looked in at, at a couple guys and they had ice bags everywhere on their knees on their shoulders and and you know they were sitting there and, you know at the time we used to drink beer in the dressing room and uh... they were just sitting very quietly having a beer just basically hey we got the job done we're pretty proud of it but uh... you know uh, and kevin said it the best he says after we saw that he says we knew what it took like we were all walking out and there's you know no bumps and no bruises and all that good stuff and they 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 really saw what it what it took to win. So, um, you know it, it's it's amazing because you know the playoffs is, is al- almost multiplied by two. You, especially the mistakes or whatever which could cost you the game. Regular season doesn't matter so much, but uh, the playoffs is so important that you pay so much attention to detail uh, because you know one one bad pass or one bad play or one you know no for, no checking or one non-block shot, um, it could be in your net and it could cost you the game. And uh, and you know nobody wanted to to, to be that person. So um, so uh, like I say, I learned so much from the Montreal Canadiens and how to win and and the little things you had to do to win. Um, it it certainly I you know I was a lot more prepared going into my second Stanley Cup with the Oilers than I I certainly was that first year.
0: You're looking forward to checking out some Toronto Montreal tonight.
1: Oh, I'm so excited! I, it's it's hard to believe it's been 42 years. I, it's too bad the way things are set up. Um, um, I'm I'm really lucky. It's great for hockey, number one. Um, you know, I'm still probably favoring the Habs if, if I was pushed because you know I played the five and a half years there. But even if you know whoever goes on, um, it's it's just really good for hockey that that one of those teams will be going in the next round and. Hopefully, whoever wins this series ends up, uh, you know, going into the, into the semifinals, cause, uh, it, it's, it's gonna be exciting to watch, even, you know, when it's 90 degrees outside, or I guess 30 Celsius, I guess. Uh, it, it's, it's gonna be exciting to watch, and, and I just, I just hope it's a really good series.
0: Well, Mark, it's been a blast. I just want to pass on, got an email from Gord saying, you mentioned the Toronto Toros. Mark Napier was my favorite Toro. Thank you for having him on today. So <laughs> wanted to pass that on. Well, thank you. Well, Mark, really appreciate this. Enjoy the series and uh, enjoy it in, in the warm weather. And here's hoping we get back to full stadiums and sold-out crowds sooner rather than later.
1: Totally agree, Mike. Thanks for having me on, and and that's probably the only bad thing about this is there won't be any fans uh, in there to watch it live.
0: Yeah, yeah, well, we'll see. Maybe if it gets to a game six, we get 2,500 in Montreal. We'll hopefully build from there. Mark, take care, and uh, please keep safe. Thanks, Mike. You too. That's Mark Napier, former Montreal Canadian, last time Toronto and Montreal met. He was in that series as a first year player in the National Hockey League. And all of those games were tight. The first game was 5-2, but Montreal scored a couple goals late. Uh, second one, Montreal won that one at home and then double overtime, the game that Mark was talking about that Cam Connor scored in. And then the last game of the series was overtime as well. Things get close in the playoffs. When the weather warms up like this, what is the first thing you start to think of? we got to get to the beach. we got to go to the beach. And there are an awful lot of beaches to take advantage of in this area. It's one of the reasons why we were talking yesterday about people visiting from Kelowna for the Memorial Cup and saying, I can't believe how amazing this area is. There are so many things right close by. Well, we live here. Now... In a pandemic, hearing the people want to come to the beach would be great if we didn't have the restrictions we had, if we didn't have the concern that we have. And joining us right now is Susan Mills, who is the manager of the Grand Bend and Area Chamber of Commerce, to talk about how things are in Grand Bend and how people are feeling going into what would be a big weekend in grand bend susan thanks so much for taking some time for us
2: well hi mike thanks for having me on the show
0: if we think back unfortunately not to last year for the victoria day holiday weekend but Uh we have to go back to 2019 what is grand bend like on the may 2-4 weekend for anyone who's never been there
2: okay well on a typical normal victoria day weekend pre-pandemic it's hugely busy Um, It sort of has a very celebratory feeling because as Canadians, you know, we've been shut in all winter. The good weather is here, and we were out on patios, at restaurants, on the beach, and just outdoors doing stuff, right?
0: That sounds so good.
2: (laughs) That's right. And, um, you know, unfortunately right now, we can't do that. Um, What we're saying is we love you, but please don't come yet.
0: Yeah, and that's a message that we've really been hearing a lot this week. What do you think the odds are that people are going to adhere to that message?
2: Well, I'm hoping that the majority of people will. Um, I think it's it's going to be problematic if people don't, because they're going to find that uh, washrooms are closed, stores are closed, restaurants are takeout only. Um, you know, the shutdown, which is actually a stay-at-home shutdown, Affects us here too. We're not, you know, isolated in some perfect little bubble where everything is going on normal here. We're in a shutdown situation, like everybody else. So, you know, all the same closures apply. You, uh, you can't, uh, you can't um, launch a boat at the boat launch. That's closed. Like I said, there's no washrooms available. They're all locked up um and uh, patios are closed no indoor dining no golf courses no no and no
0: (laughs) (laughs) and yet we'll still have people saying but beach beach and beach we've got to go to grand bend without maybe realizing all of those closures how concerned are you that people haven't really done their research and they're just thinking look at the calendar look at the sunshine grand bend here we come well, so
2: I am concerned because I think there will be people that uh, I don't know. I guess they're living under a rock and they haven't got the message yet. And they come up here and they realize, oh, there's no washrooms. I can't get a bottled water even. Um, and what what do you do? Um, you know, there's apparently one single porta potty on a construction site down uh, near the uh, pier. And uh, by all reports, last weekend, there was a lineup that was like 30, 50 people long. Now, I don't know about you, but porta parties are not my favorite places to go.
0: <laughs> not after the 50-person line gets through with it, that's for sure. Wow. No.
2: So, you know, for anybody who's listening to this, you know, think about that. Like, you know, um, it's uh, it's like... An hour's drive up here, and then what are you going to do? Because the beach technically is closed. I understand that uh, OPP will be out in force, as will by law. Um, And there are going to be fines. I mean, there's an expectation that they're going to be stopping people, and they're going to be asking, you know, where do you live? Can I see your driver's license? And when they find that you have, you know, traveled here from another region, you could be in for a fine.
0: Really? Even just by traveling to Grand Bend?
2: Well, that's my understanding, um, that, that, yeah, you can be fined from going from one region to another because it is a stay-at-home order. So that means that we're supposed to remain at home and only go out to, say, go to the grocery store, go to medical appointments, uh, and run essential errands. Um, traveling for recreational purposes is not what we're supposed to be doing right now.
0: Susan Mills joining us, manager of the Grand and Area Chamber of Commerce. Susan, let's talk about that side of things, the business side of things, and how this is normally a bonanza kind of weekend. And if you've got a patio, it's jammed. If you've got a restaurant, it's full. If you've got stores, they are selling everything that is needed for a day at grand band and a day at the beach what are you hearing from businesses in your area
2: um well i think that uh, i'm not hearing directly right now because certainly practically every business on main street west is doing renovations or construction like it's like it's like one ma- major construction zone from the intersection down to the beach there's been a whole lot of businesses change hands and renovations and you know it, it's going on it sounds it sounds like a construction zone, um and I think you know they've been taking the shutdown as an opportunity to do those renovations um that they w- had been thinking about for maybe a few years and um certainly um our businesses are are hoping that we're going to have a great summer, and we just all need to be patient a little bit longer. Certainly, last year was a very busy summer for this area. And, uh, you know, some businesses were reporting that it was a ban a year for them. And I think that has a lot to do with the fact that Ontarians were staying in the home province. They weren't traveling out of province. And so we were, the people were heading to the uh, classic traditional beach towns, um, of which, of course, Grand Band is one. And um, that's what made us busy. But right now we all just have to... Just try and uh, dig deep and have a little bit more patience until we understand from the province how things are going to be reopened and that we can get back and and have a great summer.
0: What do you think recovery is going to be like for businesses in Grand Bend? Do we need a big, long summer or things could be problematic or could the summer start mid to late July, and in terms of people being able to, to take advantage of amenities and, and come to the Grand Bend area and, and things could be okay? What do you see?
2: Well, I certainly hope it doesn't start mid to July. I'm hoping that uh, we're looking at mid-June in essence, which is what we were uh, last year, a little bit of deja vu-do there, um, and certainly in sort of maybe day trips at that point. Um, my understanding is that with the percentage of vaccinations in place, uh, we should be able to open up a little bit more. But, you know, nobody knows what the province is is going to announce and how, what that reopening looks like because they're taking away the color-coded framework, right, and they're saying they're going to be opening up by industry segment, by industry segment. So who knows what that actually means? Hmm. Um For the businesses here, um, certainly, you know, takeout restaurants um, are doing, I would say, fairly well. Some of them better than others. Um, I do know one local restaurant, when uh, the shutdown first started, her takeout was still 50% of what her normal sales would have been, which would give you an idea of how our local residents definitely have supported local businesses.
0: Well, Susan... It hasn't been easy for any of the businesses in your region, in the London region, in any region. But we really appreciate you taking the time to speak with us today. And one more time for that message from Grand Band. What do you want people to know? We love you. We
2: love having you here, but not yet.
0: (laughs) Susan, please keep safe and uh, enjoy the Grand Band sunshine for the rest of us. Thank
2: you. We will.
0: That's Susan Mills, manager of the Grand Bend and Area Chamber of Commerce. You may be spending less time at gas pumps or you may be spending the same amount of time you've always spent at gas pumps. One of the things that we've all seen is that gas prices have risen from what they were, say, a year ago. And they are back to some pretty familiar territory, somewhere between a buck twenty and a buck thirty a liter in most parts of southwestern Ontario. Well, today is. The Gas Tax Honesty Day, and it allows the Canadian Taxpayers Federation to put out its Gas Tax Honesty Report, and we are lucky enough to be joined right now by the Interim Ontario Director of the Canadian Taxpayers Federation, Jay Goldberg, to talk about what all of this means. Jay, how are things? Doing well. How are you? Doing okay. So, first off, Gas Tax Honesty Day why does this exist?
3: Well, this exists because a lot of uh, Canadians, uh, when they pull up at the pumps, they see the high gas prices. Uh, in April, the average was a dollar twenty-six a liter. You were right on the mark. Um, but uh, a lot of drivers recognize that some of the price is taxed, But uh, we take this day before the May two four long weekend to really emphasize uh, just how much of it is taxed. So, for example. The average price of gas in Ontario, if we had no tax on gas, would have been just 79 cents a litre. So we're here to point out the fact that uh, 47 cents of every litre you're putting in your tank at the pumps, that's taxes. And I think it's important for us to remember.
0: We always look toward our neighbours in the United States. And when you're over in the United States, when we get an opportunity to cross borders, you tend to try and fill up right before you cross back because their prices end up being cheaper. Is that coming down to tax?
3: Yes, it, it does come down to tax because the reality is that the cost of um, both producing uh, the oil and the markup that uh, gas, uh, gas uh, stations put on the uh, price of gas, it still only gets you to $0.79 cents a litre. Uh, And so in the United States, they have – it depends on the state, of course, but in some cases, they have half as much tax on gas as we do. Uh, And, of course, they don't have a carbon tax, which increases the price of gas by another nine cents a litre. So definitely the difference is taxes.
0: Jay Goldberg joining us, Interim Ontario Director of the Canadian Taxpayers' Federation. You will always hear arguments that, well, hey, if we are being taxed on it, no problem because the taxes are going to help keep our roads in good shape or help this or you mentioned the carbon tax and, well, there's talk that that will, you know, have an impact on behaviors and, and that's largely the hope. When you look at where the taxes that are being collected from gasoline sales are going, Jay, does it at least have that silver lining to it? Or do you think that this needs to be kind of addressed?
3: I think it definitely needs to be addressed. Uh, Certainly in terms of the, well, there's tax at both the provincial and federal level. Part of the federal tax that's put on there uh, does go to municipalities to help fund infrastructure projects. But at the provincial level, the vast majority of the tax, it's just going into government's general revenue. And so gas tax is just another way for them to bring in more money and make financial decisions uh, that in the last while in the last you know decade have been quite uh, unimpressive here in Ontario in terms of the uh, wasted spending in terms of the size of the deficits here uh, and what the debt is looking like in this province already at $400 billion dollars. So unfortunately, if the government was you know taxing gasoline so much so that you know they could do a lot for the citizens of Ontario, and have good finances, well, we're seeing neither. We're seeing uh, poorly managed government uh, facilities and programs. We can look at our long-term care homes, very poorly managed. And we also see, of course, that uh, the finances are in terrible shape. We've got a $31 billion deficit. Uh, So I don't think that uh, tax uh, revenue can be, be said to be the cause of good governance here in Ontario.
0: When we look at those numbers, are we left to shrug our shoulders, or do we have any power in that area other than the ultimate power of the election?
3: Well, I do think we have some power. Doug Ford came out in the 2018 election, and he promised that he would lower gas taxes by $0.10 a litre. And he was going to do that by scrapping cap and trade, which he did, and by lowering the gas excise tax by $0.5.6 a litre. So $0.5.6 a litre may not sound like so much, Uh, But we at the CTF did some calculations, and we figured out that if you're filling up your minivan once a week here in Ontario, since Doug Ford was elected, you would have saved $655 uh, had that promise been kept. So 5.6 cents may not sound like a lot, but over time, it sure adds up for families.
0: And it just continues to add up, I suppose. But in again, going to the fact that we need taxes to get things done. Is this uh, an area you think can be changed, or, or how could it be changed so that we were still getting things done, but we weren't paying quite as much in the way of tax?
3: Well, the government's made a lot of uh, poor financial decisions over the years. We know under the wind government we had uh, the billion dollars wasted on uh, e-health and the gas plants. We certainly know that uh, Doug Ford has not uh, restrained spending in any way as premier uh Spending has only gone up. Uh, we gave uh about $300 million to the Ford Motor Company just uh, several months ago uh to help them set up a new plant. But, you know, this is a Fortune 500 company. There's very little reason we should be giving a uh, Fortune 500 company our tax dollars. And so, unfortunately, what we've just seen is governments here in Ontario that are addicted to spending money keep spending more and more money every year. Uh, and are using taxes to not even pay for it because we have massive deficits in this province. Uh, so clearly things aren't working, uh, and we think that things need to be a lot more efficient. Uh, we need to genuinely decide what programs we need and what we don't, and then we've got to return money to the people.
0: Well, Jay, we really appreciate the work in identifying how much tax we're paying at the pumps and then the background on where it's going, where it isn't going, and certainly where it could go. Keep safe, and I suppose Happy Gas Tax Honesty Day (laughs) is in order. Okay, thanks a lot, Mike. That is Jay Goldberg, Interim Ontario Director of the Canadian Taxpayers Federation. You've been listening to the London Live Podcast. Catch the show live on weekdays from 1 to 3.